Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Dan is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Dan. As we look at this time of rebuilding the walls in Malachi, again, this was the last prophet. Malachi was the last prophet until Jesus came. And so was looking ahead to, to the first Christmas. And, and as we consider that, I would like you to try to think in your mind right now of, of Christmas. Some of you are older. Some of you are younger. I would like you to, to think in your mind, can you think of your worst Christmas ever? When I say, what was your worst Christmas, does that immediately, are you able to bring that to mind? I don't want anyone saying, yeah, that one year was so bad. Remember, the Grinch was going to steal Christmas, and it was, like, really bad. No. Uh, I need some real stuff. And that, when that, we had that really bad snowstorm, and Santa almost didn't come, and then Rudolph, yeah, didn't really happen. I need a real one. And if you were to ask my, my older brothers and sisters, when was the worst Christmas ever in the Slofra household, they would be able to, all of them would give the same answer, and they would be able to come up with it just like that. Worst Christmas in the Slofer household, December 25th, 1966. Worst Christmas ever for my brothers and sisters. And the reason why is I know that is because they tell me that every year. That was the year I was born on Christmas Day. <laughs> Seriously, I was born on Christmas Day, 1966. And my, my brothers and sisters continue to hate me because of it. And the reason why is this is the way that the Slofer household worked, is I was the seventh of eight children. And so what would happen is we would always have our family Christmas on Christmas morning. That would be the wake up at, at 5 a.m. and would come down and see what presents were there. And usually that time was what I like to call the underwear and socks portion of Christmas. And, and that would be when, and, and our parents especially, there were six kids at that time, and they were eight and under. So it was a tough time, and my mom didn't work outside the home. So it was, uh, usually at that time, we didn't get a, a lot, but, you know, we always had presents under the tree. But then, Grandpa and Grandma Slofer on Christmas Day, this was every, every year, this was the tradition, is they would come from Chicago, and... Mom would make the meal, and then we would have dinner at about 1 o'clock. And after the dinner is when the presents from Grandpa and Grandpa Salofra. And my Grandpa Salofra did okay financially, and he's one of those guys who just loved watching kids be excited at Christmas by giving gifts. He just, like, he was more excited about them being excited, whatever. Anyways, so what happened was... My mom was nine months pregnant. We did the, well, not we, they did the, the underwear socks portion of Christmas. My grandparents got there as, as my mom was making the meal and realized, it's time. I'm going in and, and I'm having the baby now. And so, for some reason, Grandpa and Grandma Salofra said, no gifts until the baby is born. <laughs> and so... All of them are around the Christmas tree, and all the presents are there, and my mom's at the hospital, my dad's at the hospital, grandma and grandpa are with the kids, and they refused to let them open the presents until I was born. Now, you know, seventh, seventh child, you know, 
How long does that take? 30 minutes maybe? I don't know. They, they, by then, I, was, I came out pretty quick. So they had to wait a couple hours. And, and that was their, their worst Christmas ever. And, and so the joke goes that uh, I was the only Christmas present they got that they never broke. But it wasn't from lack of effort. So as you think about that, though, there's, and so that's kind of, we joke about that, but, but the reality of it is, is that Christmas, as a time we look forward to, there's also things that happen at Christmas. Maybe it's because we look forward to it so much that when the actual day comes, the anticipation seems better than the day. And another thing that we did as, as I got older with our own family is, is usually what we would do is we would have Christmas at our home and then we would drive to South Dakota every year. That was our, our thing that we did. And the one year, as my wife's family, there's nine kids in the family, uh, we would go there and we, we would stay at my in-law's house. And the one year, there were 23 of us in a three-bedroom home. And, and that Christmas was brutal. And, and that was the year that I, I told my wife what I want from Christmas from now on is a hotel room <laughs> where, where we can go because it was just difficult that, that we got on each other's nerves and there were a bunch of kids and it was just, it was difficult. But for other people, when they think about the, the worst Christmas ever, uh, there's a friend of mine uh, who's, whose dad died on Christmas. <laughs> And he hates Christmas music. He hates everything leading up to Christmas. And, and, I, and I remember him telling me this about why he, he just hated it. And I, I tried to encourage him and, and tell him, you know, maybe Jesus' birth and my birth on Christmas might, might turn it around. But, but it's still, it's hard. And, and so as you look towards Christmas this year, there's this buildup. And I am sure that there are people here that are looking forward to Christmas with a little bit of, of loathing, that they, they are thinking about the person who's not going to be there anymore, maybe someone who died in the past year, and, and it's just really difficult because all they think about is the person who's not going to be here. Or maybe it's a person that you know is going to be there, the person that you, you don't even want to deal with, you don't want to talk to, you don't want to rip the scab off the wound yet one more time at Christmas. And you see, as we look at that, and, and remember that Christmas is about, about the coming of Jesus, that I would argue that, that if you have that in your heart, that, that if there is some, some type of trouble and hurt and, and, and something that just isn't right, that you need to do a little more Christmas preparation. And you see, that's what Malachi was all about. From the beginning of time, remember, Adam and Eve, when they started, God gave the promise of a Savior, but they weren't ready for the Savior yet. And so for the next thousands of years, God was getting his people ready so that they would be ready for the coming of the, of the Savior, the Christ, true God and true man, coming to take their sins away. But the problem was, was that at the time of Malachi and Nehemiah, it seemed like... They weren't any more ready than Adam and Eve were. That, that all of that time, that, that nothing was accomplished. And so Malachi delivered his message one more time. Jesus 
is coming. The, the promised Savior, the Christ, is coming. And God desperately wants you to be ready for it. And so what he did is he identified, he, he, he took his finger and, and hit the people in their heart right where it hurt to show them why they weren't ready, but then shared with them how they could be ready. And that's the same message that's so important for us. They had 400 years. You have three days. But the beauty of it is, is through the power of the Holy Spirit and God's word, that's exactly where we can be. We go to our lesson. And again, this is rebuilding the walls. So, so this is around an event. And three events were happening uh, at this time. And, and one was the rebuilding of the temple. And, and the establishing of their uh, religious ceremony. The next one was the, the building of the wall and the protection of the city. And the third building project, which Malachi worked on, was the rebuilding of God's people, the restoration that needed to take place in hearts. And so as we look at this, we're going to see that the, this building of the wall and the building of, of the hearts are, are very closely connected. In Nehemiah 2, verse 17, as Nehemiah came to, to build the walls, this is what he said. Then I said to them, this is the, the leaders of the people, you see the trouble we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. When Nehemiah got to Jerusalem, he had come from Persia, and he was basically an administrator in the government. He worked as the wine taster for the king, so he was very trusted. And when he got there, he decided to see what he was up against. He knew that the wall was in difficult shape. So as he went around, he went on horseback, and it was so bad, and the rubble was so bad, is that he could not even on horseback ride around the city. That there were times when he would go and then have to backtrack because the wall was uh, just rubble. It, it's like a bomb had gone off in many different places, and it, and, and it was bad. And maybe to help you understand why this was an issue, I take you back, and we live in a post-9-11 society. And if you remember back to the original 9-11, uh, if any of you were traveling at that time, I guarantee you wouldn't forget it. Because immediately, you'll remember that all the airlines were shut down. I mean, that, that there was no movement uh, in and around the country for a number of days because it wasn't safe. We, we didn't know how safe it was. And, and I remember specifically at Central Wisconsin Airport, which hopefully none of you will ever fly into, that they, it's just this little airport in Wausau, Wisconsin, and they started bringing in these dump truck fulls of dirt along the, the, the place where you would uh, drop your luggage off. I mean, it was only one terminal. It was like five planes could get there at once, maybe. And, and they put all this dirt, and then they got guys from the armory. Uh, and all of this was for uh, security purposes, right? Because we know that Wausau, Wisconsin, a lot of terrorist activity comes through there. And uh, that would probably be the next place, right, that they would hit. And, and it was, I remember that. And, and I remember the, a week later, uh, the, the Monday night football game was the Green Bay Packers against the Washington Redskins. And a guy got me tickets. And I remember, well, 
going to Lambeau feels a little different anyways. And the people that go there usually are wearing heavier coats to conceal all of the carry-ins they're not supposed to be bringing. But because it's Lambeau Field and they have to watch the Packers, they let them. Uh, and, and so what happened for the first time was we went through these security checkpoints and they let nothing in. I mean, it, there was nothing allowed. And they were doing not just pat-downs, but all the coats and everything came off. And it was, it was just odd for us. It, it's so, it was so different. But that's what we do, right? When, when there's a national-type tragedy, the first thing you need is security. And so when we go through the airports, could you imagine after that if the security at the airport was, yeah, you can bring guns, whatever, bombs, we don't care. Just get on your plane and do whatever. There would be a huge outcry. We would say, what kind of government do we have that they can't even keep their people safe? That's what it was like in Israel. Without a wall, the city and the country were a joke. The, the, the security of, 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 the company, of the country, of the city, and it not only made the government look like they were in disgrace, which they were, but it also made God look like he was a disgrace, that God could not even protect his own promised people. The next passage I have that shows this type of disgrace, this was from a totally different time from David. It was 500 years earlier, but I want to bring up this point of disgrace. And this is David before he was king. David asked the man standing near him, what will be done with the man who kills the Philistine and removes the disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Disgrace. Disgrace, I I, I would say, as I look at it, can come from three ways. One of them is, is there are times when disgrace comes from God. And the children of Israel were disgraced by God, disciplined by God, however you want to say, punished by God, when they were taken into captivity. It was a disgrace that they would leave their promised land because of their activity, because of their failure to follow God. It's the same type of punishment when you might use with someone who's in high school and you ground them. And so someone calls and asks, oh, you want to go out? And they say, I can't, I'm grounded. God had disgraced his people. But then disgrace can also come in this situation like it did from another country. When, when uh, Goliath came and he disgraced them by calling them out. That happens today. Maybe our country is disgraced when in a different country they burn our flag or, or they have a, someone representing, you know, they make an a, a effigy of the president or something and burn it. And, and they do that to disgrace us. But then there's a third type of disgrace. And that's when a person disgraces themselves. They disgrace themselves because of their actions, by the things that they do that they should be ashamed of, but they're not ashamed. And when that type of disgrace takes place, it not only disgraces you, but it also disgraces your God. When you take the name Christian and act in a way that is disgraceful, it also reflects badly on your God. And so in the fill-in, this is what you can write. The condition of the wall was a disgrace. 
It was indicative of the spiritual condition of Israel. It was a disgrace. And again, it showed something not just about the wall, but about the people who lived in that city. I'm going to warn you right now, the book of Malachi, a large portion of it, has to do with disgrace. And, and people who had grown accustomed to living in circumstances which were an embarrassment, should have been an embarrassment to them, but definitely was an embarrassment to God. And today I'm asking you to stay with me because Malachi, in his own way, comes and, I mean, he just punches the people in the face. And, and, and says, you know what, if you are going to be ready for the coming Christ, you need someone to get you ready. And so I am going to be brutally honest with you. There are probably going to be hurt feelings, maybe defensiveness. And I'm asking you to, to go through this, to go through this process, because it, is hurt, it hurts, it's painful. But we will see it's definitely what we need. It's not just the wall, you see. The next one is Malachi 1, 7 and 8. But you ask, how have we defiled you by saying that the Lord's table is contemptible? When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? So what the people would do is they would have to have the sacrifice. They would have this opportunity to offer burnt offerings. And God told them, go to your flock, take the the best lamb, a year old without blemish or defect. You take that lamb and you sacrifice it. So the people would go to their flock and they would look at which lamb they were going to sacrifice and they would see one that was lame, you know, couldn't walk or, or was blind, you know, was always bumping into trees so they knew something was up with it. And, and they thought to themselves, let's see, this lamb is probably going to die anyways. So why don't I just take that one since it's going to die? God doesn't know the difference, right? What's the big deal? And, and I'll offer that one, and then I'll have this strong lamb, and then my, my flock will get stronger, and then I'll be able to offer God a strong one. And God said, are you kidding me? That these offerings you bring are, are supposed to be your first fruits. They're supposed to be your best. And what you're giving me is your leftovers. I know you people do this all the time. How many people here have re-gifted? Yeah. Exactly. So, of course, you're, you're one of these re-gifters who's going to defend yourself. I get it. You know, I don't like it. I just thought, Pastor Jeff might like this. Since someone gave this to me last year, I'll just give that to Jeff and say it's from me. It's okay to re-gift to Jeff. He doesn't care. But, but that's not what it was like with the re-gifting. Now imagine you got a gift you used it, it didn't work, and then you re-gifted it. If you gave a gift like that, or if you received a gift like that, you'd be like, are you kidding me? That's not, that doesn't even count. It's sad. That, that is pathetic. And that's what the people, in essence, were doing. That God is saying, when you give me a, a gift like that, first of all, I know. And second of all, I'm not happy with it. The next Verse from Malachi 1, verse 10 is when God says, 
Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. You might as well not even offer them. If you're just going to bring the lame one, don't bring anything. And that reminds me of, of a little story I heard and about someone having an offering. And it was at church on Sunday, and the offering plate was going around, and the guy had a $100 bill and a $10 bill in his pocket. And so the offering plate came around, and, and the guy was reaching in to get the $10 bill, put it in, the, the plate went around, and after the service, he, he reached in and realized he had put the $100 bill in by mistake. So after the service, he's like, man, I, I can't afford to do that. So he went back to the, to the uh, usher and said, hey, could you go up on the altar and, and grab that $100 bill out of for me and, and put the $10 in instead? And the usher said, you know what, I, I can't, I'm not doing that. And the guy got really mad. He's like, are you kidding me? I made an honest mistake. The, the least you could do is go up there and do that for me. And he's pretty upset. And the usher said, hey, man, I didn't say you couldn't do it. I'm just saying I don't feel comfortable doing it. And the guy kind of settled down and he said, I guess God can give me credit for 100 today. And the usher said, I think you got credit for 10. And I think that is the way that as we look at our hearts and we go at what we are going to give to God, that, that, that the hearts, that God is looking for the giving heart. And, and especially in this situation as he's trying to teach these people that part of being a follower of, of the true God is to be a giver, that when you don't, it shows that there's a spiritual problem. In the blanks, you can write, worthless offerings are indicative of the spiritual condition of God's people. That that is a barometer. That, that is a, a test that as God looks at us, that, that how hard it is for us to part with possessions says something about our relationship with God and the people we're living in denial of that. And I think we do at times too. Are our offerings our leftovers? Are they the things that we don't want? Are we re-gifting? Or are they giving God our best? The next one. And this comes from Malachi chapter 2, 10 and 13 and 14. Do we not all have one father? Did not one God create us? Why do you profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on all your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask, why? It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her. Though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. And so the next villain, a low regard for marriage promises are indicative of the spiritual condition of God's people. This portion is hard for me. It, it's really hard for me. And, and the reason why is the two closest individuals to me in my life as I grew up in high school, college, the two closest people to me both cheated on their wives. 
They both were with other women while they were married and then ultimately divorced their wives and, and left their children as well. And the difficult part about this was these were, that, these were individuals that I talked to every other day. I mean, that we were pretty close. And, and when it started happening, we started talking less and less. They kind of distanced themselves from me. And I didn't know what was going on at the time. You know, it was all, it's all secret. And, and I remember once it happened, both of them, even though they happened years apart, that I tried to tell them, do you not understand that when you cheat on your wife, you cheat on me? Don't you get one of them? I was best man in the wedding. I rem- and t- telling them, I remember standing there next to you. And, and as you made those promises in front of God and these witnesses, I was one of those witnesses with all your family, with all your friends, and you said you made a promise until death parts you. And you don't understand that, that as you do that, it not only affects your marriage relationship, if you think it doesn't affect what we're doing at all, that's crazy. And not only that, but think about the promise. Remember, there's two parts of the marriage. One is when you promise to her, but the other part is when you promise to God. I still love and care about these two individuals. I I still try to keep in touch as, as much as I can. But it destroys relationships. It destroys all of the relationships. And and so as we look at this in our our, our the situation we're in, the reality of it is, is we live in rubble. Remember, the wall was broken down, and that was indicative of God's people. What we live is we live in, in walls where our relationships are broken down, and the rubble is the sin caused by it and the fallout of it. And because we have so many people these days, so many people who are divorced and so many families that are no longer intact, that it, that it just, we live in it and it has become our new normal. Like, nothing's wrong. And Malachi says, you know what? There is something wrong. This isn't normal. This isn't the way that it's supposed to be. These walls need to be rebuilt. You're not supposed to have to to walk around like that in in life and to have this and to have to stare at this day after day. You need to know that because it affects your relationships with people, but it, it, it affects your relationships with God too. And Christ is coming. So this is what he said. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. It's going to be difficult, and it's going to be hard, and you guys aren't ready. He is going to be like a refiner's fire. friend of mine, Marty Bauer, pastor in Wisconsin Rapids, he's a great guy, outdoors guy, uh, just, and he's a hands-on type individual. And he told the story about when he, he was going to see a refining process take place. And he's like, yeah, I want to go do that. It's... For my sermons, I'll be able to better understand it. 
And so he, he went and uh, he, this guy's doing the refining and he did it kind of the old-fashioned way where he had the fire going with the coals and he's blowing the air on it and he's got the anvil so he's, he's heating it and then pounding it and then putting it in water. Heating it, pounding in it, putting it in water. Heating, pound it, put it in water. And he thought he was going to be there for like a half an hour, maybe, maybe an hour tops. Three hours later, that he, he said he's looking at this and he's getting bored. That he's like, you know what, how many, how? And, and so he asked the guy, when are you going to be done with this? And he said, when I can see myself in it, then I'm done. What a beautiful picture of the refiner's fire that when God comes to us, because I have news for you guys this morning, just so you know that I know, I'm pounding on you. And that's what Malachi did. He came and he was pounding on them. He was heating them up and pounding on them and then heating them up and pounding on them again. And the reason why is that you need to understand is that God wants to see himself in you. And the reason why giving and marriage are such Huge indicators of our spiritual condition is because those two things are what God is. What is God if he's not a giver? For goodness sakes, one of the passages we remember, God loved the world so that he gave his one and only son. God is a giver. When you look at uh, the Father, not only in the creation of the world, but think how God gives us day after day. We set our clocks by it, for goodness sakes. When the sun is going to come up, when it is going to go down, the seasons, the, the fact that we can plant and God makes it grow and then we harvest. God gives and gives and gives and gives. And he says, don't you get that when you don't give? When you become a reservoir instead of a river? When you try to just hold things on? That is exactly the opposite of what I am. And so I've tried to show you by giving and giving and giving. You don't seem to get that. What else is God? If not a giver? Faithful? For goodness sakes. If there's anyone who has had a chance to bail on a relationship, it is, is it not our God? For goodness sakes, God showed his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so he showed us that is what faithful is. It means that I continue to be there. I keep my promises, not only when it hurts, but especially when it hurts. That's why we make promises. That's why we have oaths. That's why we call on God to get power that's greater than I am. God being faithful. Faithful to his promises. And, and, and that's what we celebrate at Christmas, with the coming of the Savior, the, the promise that's fulfilled, the faithfulness that's been kept. And if we're living in walls that have been broken down, should that not disgrace us? In the blank, you can write words that are strong in truth, help to prepare us for the coming of Christ. And so from all of this, this is what, where God wanted his people to come. The first thing that they did, remember in the video, was they cried. This is so hard. But then he said, don't cry, because the Savior is coming. And, and today, that as we look at this, the point is not that we cry, but the point is we realize this great need that we have because of my heart that's not a giving heart and, and my heart that's unfaithful and doesn't keep its promises that we have a Savior who came and did that perfectly for us. 
that God remains faithful and God remains generous and giving and it changes us. The next passage, Malachi 3.17, after all of this, this is what God says. On that day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they, meaning you, will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. That's not giving up on you. And he's going to come and he's going to show love to you and he's going to forgive you. That is the Savior that you so desperately need and and the Savior that God gave you willingly. And having received that Savior, what is how does Nehemiah respond? Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. God calls us not just to belief, but God calls us to action as well, to rebuild those walls. And so in the blanks, you can write words that are strong in grace change our hearts and actions. God calls us to rebuild walls in our lives. Your relationship with God is restored. But we still have work to do and we have walls to rebuild because we still live in rubble. And and so as you look at it, I would like you to, to think of this in three ways. One of them is the giving. We are going to have an opportunity. I'm not going to go into great detail right now, but at the first of the year, one thing we're going to be doing at Crosswalk is a 90-day giving challenge. And what we're asking you to do is to look at your flock and to ask yourself the question, am I giving the lame, the, the lame lambs, the blind lambs, or am I giving God my best? And so what we're trying to, to do is for all of us here, including myself, to simply ask the question, where am I at? And one way we're going to do that is, is asking you to look, what, is, what percentage do I give of what I receive? And, and you don't have to tell me, but it's something that's between you and the Lord. And to ask the question, is this an area where I need to grow? Do I want to have a generous heart that reflects the generosity Christ has shown me? The 90-day giving challenge, it'll be coming. You'll get more information on that. The second one, Are you continuing to be faithful? The way that we are going to look at that specifically is through, uh, there's a marriage growth group coming up uh, that is one that if you're interested in in doing, would be great. Great way to strengthen the relationships in marriage. But, But as we look at this, it's not just marriage. It's strengthening the relationships, period, in our church. And the way that we do that, Lauren, thank you. I've been trained now. It, but And seriously, that to be faithful. And not only to join a growth group, but be faithful in going to it and supporting each other in Christian love. But the final one, the final one which you can do in the next three days and in the next five days, you have an exam, and the exam is called Christmas. And the test has a name, and most likely it's a relative. And it's someone that you are going to deal with. And so you have two ways to approach this. You can continue to live in the rubble of your family life and and be upset and angry and lonely and hurt. Or you can get the backhoe out. And and the first part of the rebuilding project is, is removal of rubble. 
otherwise known as forgiveness of sin. Whether it's you needing to go to someone, maybe they've wronged you, but you've wronged them too. Just say those words that are so hard to say. I'm wrong. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Forgive me, please. Or just as hard, forgive them. But either way, the rubble needs to go out. And then we have a foundation to build on. The foundation on which we build the wall is Jesus Christ. He is that rock. And and the stones that that we go and we put on are are acts of Christian love, uh, living our faith, however you want to describe it. But it doesn't go up overnight. It's one stone at a time, one act of service, then going back to Christ for power and strength and encouragement. And it's difficult. But it's doable. And so, as you go from here today, my prayer is that you are are ready and hopeful for Christmas. Because in three days, I can guarantee you, there is going to be a baby in a manger that is a gift to you. It's a gift that God wants you ready for. And it's a gift that you desperately need. So, before we close, if you want more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, just go online to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at 9 and 11 a.m. at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline. Visit our website for directions. And now, back to some closing thoughts from Pastor Dan. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, we thank you for the gift that you have given us in Jesus Christ, our Savior. And and Lord, we admit that in our, our lives there are walls that have been torn down, that there are fences that need mending. And so, Lord, please be with us. If we are looking uh, at any uh, family function that we are going to kind of with dread and, and concern about it, Lord, please take that away. Help us to have hearts that are changed by you. Uh, help us to be giving and generous like you are. Help us to be faithful to our promises just like you are. And Lord, help us to, to have the strength uh, to go forward with these rebuilding projects uh, and give you glory as we do it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.